Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Welcome everyone to the show today. I hope this episode finds you safe and healthy. You know, with so much in our daily news feeds today focused on COVID-19, and you know, rightly so, we're going to redirect this show to a different topic. The topic is our foster care system. Did you know that there are more than 437,000 children who are in foster care in the United States, 125,000 of whom who have been permanently separated from their family of origin and are waiting for someone to step forward to adopt them? That's a 23% increase since 2012. Well, my guest today is Rita Sornan. She is the CEO of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. And Rita's going to speak about the urgent need to support foster youth, address some of the obstacles they face disproportionately, and correct some of the myths that prevent people from seeking out foster parenthood. Enjoy today's show. Rita, thanks for being on the show today. Now, the Dave Thomas Foundation, which you lead, has invested heavily into the foster care system and is seeking to address the major challenges and the gaps we are seeing in our nation's foster care system. And I just want to share a few stats for my listeners today, and I think they'll be astounded by this. So first of all, there are more than 437,000 children who are in foster care in the United States right now. And 125,000 of those are permanently separated from their family of origin or just waiting for someone to adopt them. This is a big increase from 2012, a 23% increase to be exact. Now, I've learned that in addition to that, 27,000 teenagers age out of the foster care system in the U.S. each year. That's a really high number, 20,000 teenagers every year. And most people have no idea that that's that large of a number. Well, this certainly creates or should create a sense of urgency to those working to support those in contact with their foster and youth welfare systems. Now, perhaps to start, could you just give us an overview of the current state of the foster care system in the U.S. today? You know, what are the biggest challenges and gaps currently in this system? Rob, thank you. Right. And, you know, the numbers can at times feel overwhelming, but I think as we personalize this conversation, think about children we know, think about families in our community, it becomes much more digestible as a conversation. So the state of foster care, look, children and families, children in particular, enter the foster care system through no fault of their own. They've been abused. They've been neglected. Um, they've lived perhaps in families with legacies of of family violence or poverty or substance abuse, and and no system wants to separate children from families, but there are times when families simply aren't safe for these children or aren't providing the basics that they need, a safe house, uh, the kind of food, the kind of education that children need and deserve. And so that's when systems step in and uh, move children from their family of origin. The first line of defense is, is there extended family with whom these children can live? Because we don't want to separate children from the, 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 the families that they know, the families with whom they identify, the communities that they know and identify with. But there, if there are no extended family members, grandparents, um, uh, cousins, aunts or uncles who can take these children, 
um, then that's when child welfare systems step in and ask for foster parents, stranger foster parents, to take care of these children, hopefully on a temporary basis. As the system begins to look at how do we fix this family in the sense of is it simply because uh, they are uh, need access to resources and they don't know how to get them. They need better housing. They need access to food. They need help in making sure that their children get to school regularly. If we can surround that family and provide access to those resources and watch and make sure that they learn how to take care of their children, then we want those children back in that family. So that's that 435,000 number right now in the United States. That's how many children are in some sort of substitute care, extended family or stranger foster families because the family of origin is not able to take care of them. But for a significant number of children, as those cases of those families and children weave through courts and child welfare agencies, if ultimately the family cannot be fixed, if they cannot be made safe enough for these children, then the courts step in and do what they don't like to do but permanently and legally separate forever this child from that family. And that's that 125,000 children, as we're sitting here today, who have been permanently and legally separated from their family of origin. And our promise to them the day that they are separated from their family of origin is that we will find them a family as quickly as possible. So that's that's the general state of the foster care system. The reason that we've seen that significant increase of children coming into care and separated from families is because over the past few years, I'm sure that your listeners have heard or seen daily news clips about the opioid and heroin epidemic that has hit this country. And and the kinds of drugs that families are taking, um, that, that adults are taking, get them addicted so quickly and so so. Uh, deeply that they they find that they cannot care for their children. Children are coming into care in explosive numbers. So many states have seen double-digit increases of children coming into care. At one level, that was beginning to plateau off, but then, you know, as soon as we think we've got to fix, another kind of drug comes into the system and, and is even more insidious than the rest. And so we're we're really in a bind now in terms of making sure that we have enough foster parents that can care for these children, making sure that the public understands that these children are there through no fault of their own, and as they grow up and age in foster care, they still have the needs of every other child, and that's for permanence, for family, for safety, and for home. And so our job is to make sure, one, that they're safe, Two, that they can move back home if at all possible, but three, if not, then how quickly can we find them an adoptive family so that they can have the security that they deserve? What we also know is that you're right, about 20,000 children year over year over year turn 18 or 21, depending on what that age limit is in their state, and leave foster care without the family we've promised them. And what we also know through research is these children are at a much higher risk for negative outcomes, not because they're bad kids, but because they have um, missed that safety net that every other child might have. And so they're at much higher risk of becoming homeless, of becoming uh, uh, addicted to substances, of becoming early parents, of moving back into systems, of being unemployed, all of those things that because simply they don't have that, that hand up, that help of a family that can step in when the car breaks down and, they, and they're at risk of losing their job, or they can come home to live for a few weeks 
if, if their apartment doesn't work out. All of those kinds of things are the things that we want this country to understand about children and youth in care, about families, and how they can step in and help. Thank you for that. You know, I've also learned that our nation's opioid crisis has specifically impacted the foster care system by overwhelming an already flooded system. I've been told that um, the number of children placed in foster care in the U.S. due to parental drug use has nearly doubled. So what, if anything, can you or other nonprofits do to address this huge impact of the opioid crisis on the foster care system? Well, first of all, there have to be um, really good evidence-based programs that can address first the substance abuse issues that families have. We can't expect them to fix it themselves. It's, it's, it's difficult. It is. But there have to be good resources for these families, and they have to be able to access those resources, and they have to be able to get into those programs because we also know the likelihood of, of um, hopefully, you know, getting off substances that, 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 uh, it is insidious enough that sometimes they, they relapse and they, and they start using again. So we've got to have good programs for families. Um, but if, if we just can't get them, we can't make a child wait forever either for the family to fix itself. And so we have to step in very quickly and make sure that children have access to quality support resources and families, foster families and adoptive families. Um, and the kind of counseling that they'll need. Look, we have stories of children who at age 10, um, you know, we had a, 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 a sister, two sisters who were in the car with their, their, their parents and, and mom had passed out at the wheel. The 10 year old had to take over and drive her sister home. And then these sisters went into foster care and for years they bounced from foster home to foster home. Um, and, and we're finally adopted um, after six years in care. But we have to really look at these timelines from the eyes of a child. Six years in foster care, bouncing from foster home to foster home, having already lived through the trauma of losing their own parents, moving and, and dealing with different schools, different rules, different friends at age 10, 11, 12, 13. We just uh, put trauma upon trauma on these children and then expect that, you know, if they age out of care, they'll be fine. You know, they'll pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they'll be fine, which isn't the case. So our job is to first get them into safe and stable homes where there's consistency and then make sure that they have resources and 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 um, programs around them that can address their trauma, that can address their issues, that can allow them to grow and thrive into um, uh, uh, competent adults. Um, and so we've created programs at the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption that do just that. We fund across the United States, in all 50 states in the District of Columbia, um, groups to hire full-time adoption professionals that aggressively use an evidence-based program that we've created and evaluated that moves particularly older youth from foster care into adoptive homes quickly, effectively, and with, with good long-term outcomes. So those are the kinds of things I think that nonprofits and foundations need to look at. First, evidence-based programs that put a child's best interest at the forefront and make sure that they have everything that they need to grow and thrive as adults. Well, thanks for that. You know, there's no doubt that as one reviews all of these stats, it may be easy to feel immediately overwhelmed with bad news. So talk about your foundation. So far with your work there at the foundation, what have you found are bringing the greatest results right now? Give us a few examples of how you're bringing some positive results to a very challenging situation. Well, what we did is we really looked at where can we fill a gap? 
a need for a gap. And what we know in this country is there are still myths and misperceptions that surround children in care, but particularly older youth in care. You know, look, we don't think fondly of teenagers to begin with. If you're in any group gathering and you start talking about the teenagers that might be in your home, everybody's face kind of screws up. You know, it's a challenging time to be a teen or a toddler, but essentially a teen. So when you compound that with children who are in foster care who might be 15 or 16 or 17, we as a country bring these misperceptions forward. Well, they're too old, they're too damaged, they're too dangerous. They're there because they did something wrong. We do uh, regular research about Americans' attitudes toward adoption, and we know that nearly 50% of Americans believe that children are in care because they've done something wrong, because they're juvenile delinquents. So we have to get past that first layer of understand these are children who have the needs of every other child that you know, and that's the need for security, safety. If they're acting out or if they have issues, it's because of what they have experienced as children, the traumatic experiences that they've had both through the abuse and neglect they, they may have experienced, but also through this system that's moved them frequently from time to time. So we have to get over those myths and misperceptions, and that's where we, we have a, a, a really robust a messaging um, system that we have through social media, through educational resources to talk about who these children are, what they've experienced, but to also get over the, the sort of misperceptions or the, or the real perceptions about what this foster care system is because so many families self-select out of it. They think, well, I'd like to help, but um, I might not get a return phone call from the agency that I called, or they might not have training uh, available when I need it. So we have to work with systems to make sure that they're accommodating to families who may step forward and want to foster or want to adopt. And then we have to make sure that we have the kind of resources, information, and training in place for those families that make that step into fostering and adopting to make sure that once a family does step forward and adopts, for example, we have great success in getting teenagers, children in sibling groups, and children with special needs adopted. But the story doesn't stop the day that adoption is finalized in court. Again, these are children who may have issues they still need to work through. They have challenges that they might have. And so how do we make sure families have immediate and consistent access to the kinds of resources they need, both financial and emotional and programmatic resources, to make sure they can provide the kind of support that these children will need on an ongoing basis. And that's where the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption and others have stepped in, both in developing evidence-based programs, a robust menu of resources, and a national network of experts that we can count on from state to state that that do understand these very special needs and jump in and provide them at a way that, that we can provide financial resources through grants and they can provide the expertise that they have. We value our partners who make our world better and make giving a whole lot easier, like our partner Karma Payments. Karma Payments could help increase donations to your nonprofit by as high as 600%. So maximize financial gifts with the power of Instant Karma, a new cashless giving device. They accept mobile pay and all major cards anytime, anywhere. Donors simply select their generous amount and tap, dip, or swipe for instant philanthropy. 
Securely manage contributions with top-notch technology, low-cost rates, and all-inclusive payment solutions. Instant Karma's handheld size, portable, weatherproof, and may be purchased lease monthly or rented for one-time events. So support your cause, boost giving, and create a meaningful experience for donors this new decade. Learn how at karmapayments.com. Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you are aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. We want to give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows that will be actually sent right to your inbox. And that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. You know, unfortunately, there are a lot of stereotypes and misperceptions about kids who get placed in the foster care system. You know, however, I just want to start with a, a real critical statement. Children who enter foster care enter through no fault of their own. Typically, they're in the system is because of abuse or neglect. So the kids are not the problem in the system. So could you talk to my listeners and explain how we can dispel some of these negative misperceptions and get more accurate information about the reality of the foster care system today? Right. Well, I think making sure that wherever, you know, we're concerned about children, and that's, um, it should be in every community, whether it's um, at a library, at a faith-based organization, at a, at, a, at a business, you know, if there are opportunities to share information, to, to talk about the particular issues in our community as it, as it relates to foster care and adoption, create this robust conversation um, wherever folks are gathered and let them know, but also give a vehicle for response so that there are times when we need to change policies at a, at a community, at a state, at a federal level. Engage people in that policy conversation. For example, 20,000 children age out of foster care every year. Well, some people might say, well, yeah, well, that's okay. You know, when a child is 18, they've been through a tough life. They get that, that life is full of hard knocks. They'll be fine. They, they're survivors. Well, we've got to shift that attitude and say, wait a minute, we, it's a tough country we're in. Think about now with the COVID-19 uh, uh, crisis. What 18-year-old should be out on their own trying to navigate an extreme national crisis rather than being a, in a family? So how do we have these conversations about children shouldn't age out of care? Well, right now, how do we change policies to make sure that if a child does age out of care, we've got all kinds of planning that surrounds that child and access to resources, but let's step back and let's say no child should age out of care. So how do we create the kind of programs that will address those older youth, those 16, 17, 18-year-olds, to make sure we can get them matched with a family? Here's what we also know. Children who've been in care for so long, you know, again, we we, we can these children through this program that we support who at age 16 when a court says do you want to be adopted they say no thank you I don't want to be adopted just let me leave this system at 18. We have to understand as judges as attorneys as child welfare professionals as foundation leaders as community members 
that when a child says, I don't want a family, what's behind that? They've been abused. They've been neglected. They've been traumatized. They don't trust adults who've been in their life because they've moved them around so frequently. And so we have to get back into and understand that these children may say they don't want family, but we have to help them understand the value of family long term. So I think in answer to to your question, we can all step in and and take ownership of this by learning more about the particular issues of the America's foster care system, where those gaps and changes need to be, helping to advocate for changes, or just stepping forward and saying, how can I help? How can I become a foster parent? How can I become a mentor? How can I learn more about this and talk about at my place of business or my place of worship or, or uh, you know, the group of friends that I have in my community so that we can learn more and begin to step in and do more for these children. Well, you've made it really clear that real-time access to resources and supportive network, uh, providing a safe, loving home for children in need, can be really a viable and joyful option for many more families and children in need. So how are you going about this with your foundation so that interested parents who have, perhaps they've never thought about adopting a foster child or those who have thought about it but never acted on it, how can people get involved and help? Absolutely. And I think our website is, again, a great place to start, DaveThomasFoundation.org. Um, in there, we have lists of all of the programs that we do support at the adoption level, and we can get um, individuals connected to the organization in their community that we fund. Um, and, and we know they're good organizations because we're funding them. They're doing a great job with fostering and adopting. But they can also just learn, learn more through our Beginner's Guide to Adoption, which is a free resource that they can download or, or ask for a hard copy. Um, and and, and also, they can learn about other programs that we support. For example, um, we believe that in, in workplaces, if employers provide benefits for families that are formed through birth, perhaps they should also provide benefits for families that are formed through adoption, paid time off, access to resources. So learn about how they can, maybe just in their place of business, um, advocate for adoption benefits in the workplace. Or they can become a part of this uh, initiative that we started more than 20 years ago, National Adoption Day, just in their community. The Saturday before Thanksgiving is uh, designated as National Adoption Day. How can they help celebrate any family that's formed through a, adoption through a National Adoption Day activity in their community? So I think the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption.org is an excellent place to start. We've got an 800 number as well. It's a little bit more difficult now. We're all working from home, but we're still staffing all of those uh, the website and the 800 number if someone wants to call and ask more questions about it. Where in my community can I get connected? How do I start this process? I'm thinking about fostering. I'm thinking about adopting. Where's a good organization for me to start? Because it's a, it's a step-by-step process. But I think just thinking about it, understanding the issues, and being willing to step up and say, it's not good enough in my community that a child is in foster care for five years or one year, or that a child turns 18 and leaves without a family and is forever without adults at their graduation or at the birth of their children or, or, or being grandparents. And so I think it's really just this shift of national attitude up from, well, these children will be fine or they're too old or they're too damaged or they're too dangerous to, no, these children are my responsibility and, and I think I can find a way to help. Well, my guest again today has been Rita Sornan. She is the CEO of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. Now, Rita, for those who want to support what you're doing or want to find out more information about you and the Dave Thomas Foundation, where would you send them? 
Sure. Thank you. And and the Day Thomas Foundation for Adoption is a national nonprofit public charity, so we love connecting with the public. DaveThomasFoundation.org is, is the best place to, to begin that process of finding out about who we are, what we do, and just a robust menu of resources. I'd love for folks to link in with me on um, uh, Twitter at R, it's at R Sorenen, R-S-O-R-O-N-E-N, and, and that's strictly business. I don't do personal stuff on there. So there will always be links to great articles that we're reading, things that are important to, to know about foster care and adoption. Uh, we'll link to other articles that I'm doing or are on my LinkedIn page. People can just look up my name, um, Rita Sornan, on LinkedIn, and, and we'll post things there. Um, we'd love to connect. We'd love to talk about this conversation. I get really excited when people share their personal stories about being adopted or, or share their interest in this conversation. So I love having folks connect with us. Well, Rita, thanks again for being on the show today, and thanks for all you're doing. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.